When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going, but there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. Betches Media presents. If you feel depressed and if you feel anxious and you feel confused, you know what? Welcome to the club. Gazpacho police. Oh my God. What a stupid son of a bitch. He believes that it's a woman's right, it's a woman's body, and it's her choice. The Betches Sup Podcast. Sayonara, sucker. Hello, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches Up Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. Today, we are joined by Eliza Orland. She has been a public defender in New York City for more than a decade, and she's joining us to analyze the outcome of some of these local races in California. We talked about it a bit yesterday, having herself run for district attorney as a progressive prosecutor. How are you doing? This seems like a weird thing to say to a public defender, but I have really been loving your TikToks. You really have like a <laughs> gift for communicating this this like kind of like tough thing that you do into being like really accessible. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for talking about these issues. And um, thanks for liking my TikTok. I feel like I was really born <laughs> in the wrong generation. I should have been Gen Z, uh, but elder millennial <laughs> me loves, loves social media unapologetically. I like a true millennial. I see the TikToks when you post them to Instagram, but I love it. <laughs> Exactly. Of course, very faithful to the generation. <laughs> yeah. And especially, I mean, we're going to get more into everything that's been going on, but I felt like your commentary has been so useful, not only with regard to like some of the elections that we're seeing right now, but also um, with what's been going on with the Uvalde police. And I think you've had just a lot of good content about, you know, what they've been telling us versus what has actually come out to be true. And it's been great to follow you through all of that stuff. Well, thanks. Thanks. I feel like we have to do some pushback because traditional media tends to take police reports or police statements as absolute fact. And more times than not, it is untrue what they're saying. So yes, I make generalizations on my social media with regards to police lying. And I'm not talking about individual officers. I'm talking about like the culture of policing. And so I think it's so important to get that information out there in an accessible way. And so if like a seven second or 35 second video is what's going to do it, like bring it mm -hmm. on, like get that message out to people. 100%. And I, and I really feel like with regard to that, I think I know that a shift that I had to personally change is like when you hear what the police as a unit are saying after an incident, there's actually an agenda behind that. There's a lot of things going on. I guess prior to really engaging with these issues, I personally was like, well, they have to just tell you exactly what happened. And I think a lot of people have that idea that it's like, no, they have some kind of duty to 
just like baldly mm-hmm. say the facts and there's no agenda into what they're saying and because they're investigating it themselves and it's like oh no there's very much like agendas Absolutely. and other things going on there but that's not your fault you we all have been so indoctrinated by propaganda for mm-hmm. our entire lives i mean everything from you know, law and order, the amount of damage that mm-hmm. that the law and order franchise has done to any yeah. type of criminal justice reform or questioning the police. I mean, if you think about people loving even Brooklyn Nine-Nine, oh, it's just a quirky TV totally. show. No, right. like it's copaganda. It's all copaganda. And even kids like my nephew, uh, my sister wanted to buy him a little police car. And I was like, please don't do that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. thinking that the police are there to help you, that they're honest, that they're truthful, that they're going to report the facts accurately that they don't have an agenda they absolutely do in all of those circumstances and so you know the fact that this is being recognized at least to some degree now is is an improvement yeah i think like you said elise just like the the changing story and narrative and failures with uvalde were just like you couldn't they were so blatant they were so obvious and i think that when you went to me it's like that when you think of that paired with, and this obviously happens all the time, but especially I think of, you know, when they killed George Floyd, they said, they said, what'd they say at first? Like, oh, just a man was incapacitated and he, he just died. Yeah, medical issue. He just died. Right. And that was the narrative. The first press report, it was like two lines and it was like, some guy had a medical problem. No one knows what happened. And it's like, <laughs> no way to know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like officer involved, all of that language is really important. And yes, it is policing and it is the police departments and the heads of their unions and everything, you know, the people who are out there saying this stuff, but the media just reports it as fact. There's no pushback. There's no questioning. There's no cross-examination. You know, I mean, the number of times that I have cross-examined police officers in the last 13 years as a public defender and found at least one thing they were lying about in the course of that cross-examination has been 100% of the time, mm-hmm. 100% of the time. So, so the fact that these are just not, are just accepted, these press releases, you know, that, and it's not even the police say, it's like, just report it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, officer involved yeah. shooting, van involved killing. You know, they even do it like <laughs> right. when, when the NYPD ran over a man in Brooklyn, van involved. And it was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> we all know your hair and skin can sway your mood and impact your day in ways you can't underestimate. Sometimes what starts as a bad hair day quickly turns into a bad everything else day. I'd never found beauty products that really understood my needs, but ever since I switched to custom hair and skin routine with pros, I've noticed so many benefits healthier hair and skin. Yes, but beyond that too. Since I started using pros, I've noticed consistently healthy hair. Even with all I put it through with the heat tools and the hairsprays to get this pompadour sky high, it smells great. It looks fancy on the shelf. And I like that it has my name right on it. This formula is made for V. Pros is made for people, not hair and skin types. Personalization is rooted in everything they do, from their in-depth consultation to their made-to-order model. From millions of possible formulas, only one is uniquely yours or mine. And Pros isn't just better for you. It's better for the planet. They're a certified B Corp, cruelty-free, and the first and only carbon-neutral custom beauty brand. 
They even have a review and refine tool, which learns from my feedback and adjusts my formula to keep up with the seasons and changes in my life. Pros is so confident that you'll bring out your best hair and skin that they're offering an exclusive trial offer of 50% off your first subscription at pros.com slash fever dream. So get your free consultation, then 50% off at pros.com slash fever dream. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash fever dream. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. Whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of the things I like to buy on Etsy have little dachshunds on them or are four dachshunds. Dottie's got a whole litany of new sweaters and harnesses and all kinds of fun stuff that we get lots of compliments on when we're out on walks. A gifting moment is always just around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. And this is obviously super connected to what we're going to talk about today, because especially, I mean, we're starting to see even politicians just use these same talking points that are actually quite empty. And a lot of them, again, just vowing to throw police at the problem. And we kind of wanted to talk to you today to gauge how much of this is a reaction to changes since 2020 and how much of it is projection. And so you were the first person I wanted to talk to today to make sense of the outcome of some of these races, specifically the recall of Chase Bodine in San Francisco. So he was elected to be their DA in 2019. And after two and a half years in office, 60% of voters elected yesterday to oust him. So now Mayor London Breed will appoint a new DA before they can elect someone else in November. Bodine had focused on ending cash bail and diversionary programs, one specifically to keep primary caregivers charged with nonviolent crimes out of jail. So I want to talk to you both about what can we extrapolate from this race that is useful to prospective midterm challenges and where, like I said, people might be might be projecting. But some more context for this guy specifically is that when he ran in 2019, about a third of voters chose him and he was pushed to victory in the ranked choice system. He was also elected in 2019, which I just think is notable because we often talk about these like, oh, everybody got way too progressive about police after 2020. But San Francisco, they, they decided to try this in, in 2019. So to start, among the things that he has been blamed for in San Francisco are homelessness, open drug use, car break-ins, property crimes, and untreated mental illness. Eliza, are these issues that the district attorney is responsible for? And if not, why do you think he and others in this office become a vessel for people's anger around these things? Well, first of all, it is absolutely outrageous that you know, that that people are saying, oh, there's rampant homelessness. Let's blame and recall the district attorney. I mean, that is just it's it's absurd. It's outrageous. And the reality is progressives have been screaming for years to house people, to get 
services for those in need. And centrists kept saying, no, 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 because it would require taxing their corporate allies. And now here we are. And so, you know, talking about safe and affordable housing, talking about these issues, talking about housing as a human right, as so many have, and then saying that that is going to lead to certain things. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. the fact that, of course, now people are experiencing homelessness. People are, you know, out there on the street and, and, this recall that was led by these crypto bro millionaires to, to kind of scapegoat Chesa as though he is the person who is responsible for all this is also absurd. You know, I think that's like important to say from the outset. Um, But I do think that there are things district attorneys can do. And that is why we are seeing, you know, progressive prosecutors get elected, including yesterday, by the way, not to say that, you know, Mm -hmm. this one wasn't the most public, but there were places where very progressive uh, district attorney candidates beat out more conservative candidates for 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 these wins. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think people do recognize that that locking people up isn't the solution um, when they are given access to that data. I mean, because that's that's the truth. Like, that's fact. And I think right. so many people are saying things like that the, um, oh, well, rising crime is associated with not prosecuting people for low-level offenses. And in fact, the data shows the exact opposite. Right. And in some, and in some of these areas, I mean, there's even just been it's been disputed to what degree the crime is even necessarily rising. And it seems the perception of, of crime rising and the feeling of fear among people seems to have been completely taken out uh, on on this candidate. So I wonder if for that reason, I mean, what we're going to see, what we've already been seeing is more moderate parts of the Democratic Party very eager to make this recall very generalized and about how the left wing has taken calls for police reform too far. And this is giving the voters the impression that crime has increased as a result. Um, I'm wondering what you think about this outcome, though, is particular to San Francisco or this particular candidate. What alarmism should be we wary of? Like you said, the media is not great about being really um, skeptical about things that police say about crime. What should be what extrapolation should we be watching for that might not that might quite not fit? That might not really be what's happening. Well, I think, first of all, you mentioned some of it. You know, first things first, let's say the perception of crime being up is different than crime actually being up. And, you know, a lot of times people don't even realize the effect that the media has, that they're, they're consuming all of this media, whether it's on television, on social media, whether it's, you know, reading newspapers, but even the, the hand wringing done by, by what, what, what people would call the liberal news media. I wouldn't. (laughs) Certainly not me neither, but, but that is, hugely influential to people. And so the media propping up these false narratives about crime and reporting what the police say is fact, you know, is often baseless. And in fact, violent crime is way down. Um, And, you know, these these individual um, crimes that get a ton of publicity and or or the the proliferation of social media and people taking videos of retail theft, let's say, and and posting that and it gets all these eyeballs. Whereas, you know, pre-2014, let's say that wasn't happening. And and so, you know, oftentimes these things are done by bad faith actors and 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 
propped up by people who have corporate interests at stake. And they don't want someone, a DA like Chesa or like what I would have been, Mm -hmm. which is someone who would have gone after the people who are for example, committing wage theft, who are who are stealing billions of dollars from workers and going after these these rich people, going after these billionaires who are committing real crimes rather than the individuals, you know, and, and rather than seeing these things as systemic failures as opposed to individual moral failures, you know, is is, I think, extremely difficult to combat. And then, of course, I think the local and national media hits um, against Chesa were Mm-hmm. were relentless. They were just, you know, constant and yeah. pervasive and saying that this was going to be the bellwether, whereas, oh, Krasner's, you know, skating through the re-election was not at all determinative about how um, how the, the progressive prosecutor movement was as a whole. And so I, I think that, you know, really seeing the way in which um, people are so susceptible to um, the way that the media uh really does cover these these criminal legal system issues is it's it's a little disheartening Mm -hmm. um because i think the extrapolation you know going back to your question is really that we need to we need to counter with strong messaging and yeah i'm just one person with a very small microphone trying to do that on on social media or whatever platforms i can but like we need that to be a pervasive thing we need we need people we need young people we need people who care about these things to to push back and to say hey we're not going to stand for this misinformation you know we, we see this happening in new york with regards to bail reform bail reform is blamed for literally everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so much so that Trevor Noah like made a joke about it at the White House <laughs> right. Correspondence Dinner where he was like, oh, like, you know, the Mets lost and I can't believe that we weren't saying like, blame bail reform. At <laughs> <laughs> like, do you trust the media to take a measured, have a measured response to some of these things? I mean, absolutely not. But I also <laughs> think, <laughs> I think, you know, I, I'm thinking a lot about what Eliza was saying as far as like our messaging response, because I feel I feel like what we're dealing with a lot of the time and we were talking about this a little bit yesterday is like this tough on crime message is very uh, sexy for politicians. It's it's not worked as a policy, but it's worked at getting people elected. And we don't. I I feel like the Democrats don't have, like, a real response to any of that. Like, I actually, my question always is, okay, if what you want to say is that we need to criminalize homelessness, how do we actually stop there being more people who are homeless? Like, how do we not, how do we actually get people back into housing? That is my question, and I feel like this tough-on-crime approach, it, at a fundamental level, it does not make sense because it does not get people back into housing except in this perverted way of like putting them in prison. But also it's what people fail to recognize, which I don't think is talked about enough, is that it is literally more expensive to do that. It is cost taxpayers more, you know, to put someone at Rikers Island for one year costs five hundred and fifty six thousand dollars for one person to spend a year at rikers island eliza that is it is wild it costs more than like 
you could put that person up at the Plaza Hotel <laughs> for less money for the entire year. Crazy. It's Truly. just like $1,500 a night. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And so like, if you think about where that money could go, the investments that could be made in terms of how we could tackle our housing problems that have been created over decades, by the right. way, you know, the, mm-hmm. the government has reduced um, investments in housing. You know, there is no safe, affordable housing for people. There's, there's discrimination in housing. There's undoing redlining that has, you know, hurt people for, for, for decades. But, but like, we need to be addressing these root causes of the problem. And that's like a severe lack of affordable housing supply and all sorts of state and local land use rules and, and zoning regulations that needlessly drive up housing costs. And I think San Francisco is actually such a good example of that because they have such a massive housing shortage and it reflects like a basic supply and demand problem. And people are like, no, address it with with incarceration instead of just housing. Right. Because the Silicon Valley people that that got behind this recall, they they want homeless people off the streets, but they don't want them in buildings built anywhere near them. We all dread the what should we have for dinner question. I mean, I know I do. I love a home-cooked meal, but I don't always have the time, energy, or groceries to make it happen. Being able to feast on a delicious meal without the long prep and cook times is what drew me to Home Chef over the other guys. Home Chef's meals are effortless, so I can spend less time trying to be Top Chef and more time watching it. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. Whether you prefer classic meal kits with pre-portioned ingredients and easy instructions, speedy recipes ready in less than 30 minutes, oven-ready kits with pre-chopped ingredients, or quick microwave meals that assemble in minutes, Home Chef has you covered for delicious meals without the hassle. Home Chef has over 30 options a week and serves a variety of dietary needs, so you never have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. For a limited time, Home Chef is offering our listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and a of course, free shipping on your first box. Just go to homechef.com slash fever dream. That's homechef.com slash fever dream for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard that right. Homechef.com slash fever dream must be an active subscriber to receive free dessert. When it comes to the plant-based eating debate, there's more to consider than just healthy or unhealthy. Of course, we want to eat things that make us feel good and generate energy to keep us going. But there's also a major environmental component that drives a lot of people to a plant-focused diet. But you don't have to give up some of your faves entirely. Impossible Foods makes meat from plants. They're solving the meat problem with more meat. By creating delicious meat from plants that's better for you and the planet, Impossible lets you enjoy some of your favorite meaty products with a plant-based twist. Ground beef, homestyle meatballs, sausage patties, all made from plants. And that's just a few of their delicious and versatile options. No more tension between craving meat but not wanting to eat so much of it or sacrificing your carnivorous faves for your health. Indulge in nutrient-packed, plant-based goodness and feel good doing it. Check out impossiblefoods.com to see how you can help solve the meat problem with more meat. That's I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E-F-O-O-D-S.com. I think for our listeners probably have like friends or family members that are, are frankly like vulnerable to this tough on crime messaging. And 
because it's sort of like on a, inarguable, like nobody, nobody wants to be a victim of, of violent crime. So let, let, let's assume this will be an issue we need to proactively discuss with swing voters or, or Democratic voters in November. I'm curious, when you were running for district attorney in Manhattan and you encountered prospective voters who you know, liked the idea of a progressive prosecutor and really liked everything you were offering, but also just expressed concern about crime rates and, and repeated some of the things that they'd seen in the media and hysteria around things, was there anything that you found that you could tell them that seemed to resonate the most? So I think that this is something that people, everybody wants to feel safe in their homes. Everyone wants to feel safe, you know, walking down the street at night or any time of day. People, people really do, uh, you know, have a visceral reaction to this fear mongering around crime. And so I think talking to people and expressing empathy for, for that very natural feeling is, is is important because people want to feel heard and want their their real valid concerns to be recognized. But I think also we need to kind of make sure that they understand and that we provide them with actual and real data that shows how we can, you know, reduce violent crime, how we can make sure that, um, that, that they are safe and, and kind of help them reimagine. I mean, I think we need to like get messaging out there that reclaims public safety because, because when people say, Oh, public safety, Oh, that equals more policing, more incarceration, et cetera. That I think is so problematic. Like mm-hmm. that's really, you know, been such a, a knee jerk response on the part of so many people, including Democrats. Um, but, but the, but the truth is if you ask someone, to imagine, like just close their eyes and imagine a place where they feel completely safe. Imagine the sounds, the sights, who's near them. Imagine, you know, what they have, where they are. And you, and you have them describe that. No one, I'm serious, no one, because I've done this exercise like with big groups, like no one will ever, ever, ever mention police in that circumstance. They will mention having having housing. They'll mention having enough food. They'll mention having loved ones nearby. They'll mention all of these different things. But no one will be like, and I would feel super safe if there were some <laughs> cops there. Um, yeah. And and like the, the some of the safest places, you know, are the places that aren't mm-hmm. that are the least policed. And, you know, if you think about some suburban neighborhoods or yeah, it's like, so if you think about like really reframing what safety means and 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 helping people understand that, you know, jail and prison is not going to keep us safe. It never has. It never will. If it did, we would be the safest country in the world because we incarcerate more people per capita than any other nation in the entire world. And, and so, you know, the things that are, are related to violence, the things that we need to to invest in is housing and healthcare and education. And, and when we provide those things for people, people are like, Oh yeah, I guess that's what I'd want for my family. And that's what I picture is safe. And Oh wow. If everyone had that, then, then violent crime would basically cease to exist. It's like, yes. So when you kind of like frame it that way, but also express empathy for, for people's um, natural fear that they kind of have had this, like they hear all the time, like, crime, 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 fear, 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 like be afraid of this, be afraid of that. And then when they're pulled and it's like, what are you afraid of? They're like, I'm afraid of crime. Like they've been just told to be afraid of it. So, so, you know, just kind of, I think meeting people where they are, but then also making sure that, that this widespread fear of like police reported crime, um, like it it is like not necessarily the reality of what's happening. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, as we've been talking, and one thing I wanted to make sure we mentioned is that the, you know, a portion the Asian American community in San Francisco did play a role in the recall. And as we're discussing it, it sounds like, you know, some of that fear, that absolutely genuine fear has been kind of manipulated and exploited. And um, so I feel like that's what you said is really important to sort of like share, you know, how to honor genuine fear as well. Also sharing information about how to kind of like actually address it. You know, it's if somebody's a, you know, considered mentally deranged and dangerous, it seems like the worst thing for their condition is to throw them in jail, like the worst place on the planet for, for a year that obviously does not make yeah or to like make them live in a park and then every once in a while some cops come and crush all their stuff and they have to go live in another park and that's just the cycle forever and ever because it does feel it just to me like trying to address a housing crisis without providing housing I can't it just doesn't make sense and I feel like I don't hear the housing message from like the top level from Democrats. Yeah, Democrats have not been very imaginative in what they'll offer as alternatives. So you can certainly understand why these why these communities hear a certain message. Um, yeah, that's what I'm. That's yeah. what I feel like. You know, we've been getting at is like I think that these communities like they are seeing an increase in people who are in housing crisis and they're seeing, you know, I know like my parents live out in Los Angeles. They're seeing like these like large tent communities that are being put up. And that's, that's disturbing because you don't want people to live like that. And the only solution that a lot of people have ever heard is we've got to start arresting people. And I think that there are a lot of people who would be open to hearing the other solution because they actually just genuinely do think it's bad that there's a housing crisis, but they don't know where to funnel that. They don't know what solution to funnel that energy into. Yep. And not, and you know, I don't think it's for lack of trying by certain, certain politicians. Absolutely. I mean, I think that um, both Elizabeth Warren and Julian Castro had unbelievable platforms on housing, you know, people first housing on, on ending, you know, on, on creating safe, affordable housing on ending homelessness crisis, you know, really, really, specific plans with outlined ways in which the federal government could help. And then there are people who run, you know, on housing platforms locally in, in all of these different cities and states. And instead of, um, instead of electing those people, we elect people who are like, nope, want to maintain the status quo, just arrest people, just clear homeless encampments, you know, throw people in jail. Mm -hmm. Like that has never solved these issues and never will. Yeah. And if you could elaborate on that, my last question is, as someone who has spent a lot of time representing people who have been failed by their government many times over just before even encountering the criminal justice system, what policies should we look for in candidates to support that actually can address things like housing and crime and why those things are like, why suddenly homelessness and vi- and crime have become like interchangeable is also like a bizarre conversation. But, but anyway, what are some policies we can look for that actually like like we can point to to our family members that could make a difference and help? Well, so it depends for for what position we're talking about. But in terms of what, you know, district attorneys can do, for example, you know, for for a very long time, um, essentially uh, poverty, homelessness, you know, substance use disorder and mental health issues have been criminalized. People have been arrested and prosecuted for low level offenses, um, and then their families have been torn apart and it's perpetuated these cycles of poverty and inequality and made us less safe because even something like um, that didn't pass the New York state legislature, you know, this legislative session 
that just ended this this week was Clean Slate, which would have cleaned the records, automatically sealed criminal records that were like seven to 10 years old of people, because people are then punished for eternity for something where they've served their punishment. And yet then they're excluded from housing. They're excluded from jobs. They're, you know, discriminated against because of their criminal record. And that just hardly motivates you to get better. Yeah. And so, you know, declining to prosecute these things, making sure we invest in housing and treatment and solutions that aren't carceral, it really will, you know, break these cycles of poverty and, and end this inequality in the way, in a way that really will shift crime to a, like to an all time historic low. Um, and, and we need people to understand that, um, prosecuting people for these things is going to make us less safe that you know the threats to public safety are really um are are destroying people's families destroying their lives causing them to lose their jobs lose their homes etc because that's how it upends lives then people have no other options and do sometimes turn to you know probably less um less good ways of uh you know, supporting themselves. And yeah, so there are absolutely. so many better tools at our disposal to address issues of poverty and mental health and, and substance use and, and homelessness, um, than, than just locking people up. Certainly for $500,000 a year. I'm going to be thinking about that for a yeah. while. Thank you so much. Our listeners are, are always so fired up when you come. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Until the end of democracy. I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. And this is the Betches Up Podcast. Bye-bye. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales-Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore Sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to suppod at Betches.com. Betches.